This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. As always, or as usual, and not as usual, a special guest today, Jesse Sanchez, joins us to discuss the new Top 50 International Prospects list. Jesse will help us break down that list. We'll take a look at some of the top players on the list. Um, And then we're going to also talk about our farm system rankings. Uh, We'll look at the correlation between ranking highly on that list and subsequent success in the big leagues. Pretty strong correlation there. Uh, We will take a look at the newest three members of the Top 100 Prospects list, those players being Benny Montgomery, Luis Heal, and Ryan Rollison, and we'll wrap up with some questions from the mailbag. Jesse, thank you very much for joining us. I know that this is a huge project for you. Um, Takes a long time to put together. Uh, how How long have you been working on this list? Well, Jason, you're right. This is actually, it's a labor of love, right? I really love being able to tell the, the stories and of, you know, Latino players from across the Caribbean and Latin America, uh, Mexico, and, you know, Asia, everywhere, really. Um, the process starts, it's a year in advance. So it basically takes a year to get all the information out there. Um, you track these players all year long. You talk to scouting directors, you talk to agents, you talk to trainers. It's a it's an annual, you know, our annual release is a big deal. Um, but the reality is, you know, once these guys sign, basically you're already starting to work on the next year's project. So, I mean, it takes, I don't know, basically a year to kind of get a handle on it. And then even then, you know, guys still fall through the cracks. Hey, Jesse, I had a, I had a question about the timing. You know, Jonathan and I have talked a lot about how the new calendar this year was just very odd to us having the draft in July. You've had two years in a row now where signings instead of happening on July 2 are going to happen in January. Has that thrown you for a loop? Like the draft kind of threw us for a loop this year. And are we going to be back to July 2, 2022 for the 2022 class? Or do we not know yet? Well, it's like from a personal standpoint, I can, I can definitely relate to how it changes your schedule, right? We always have a, a method to our madness of trying to track down prospects and, you know, scouting directors and scouts and people in baseball, they expect our phone call a certain time of the year. And when we don't get it, you know, it just throws everything off. But uh, obviously no one wants to hear about us whining <laughs> about how hard our job is. But uh, uh, from a personal standpoint, it is kind of tricky. Uh, from as far as moving it back to July 2nd, I'm not sure because that's one of those things that's going to be part of the collective bargaining agreement that's is you know that's coming up, and so that you know the international like draft like like everything else is going to be determined by that. Um, there's a chance it stays in January. Um, we we really just don't know for sure going forward. Um, the fact that there was changes to the draft, that the fact that people are changing locations, um, the thought of an international draft coming. Those are all questions to be determined. But uh, for now, we just kind of roll with it. But it's definitely changed our schedule. It's changed people in baseball schedule. It's changed the schedule for, you know, trainers, for the for these young athletes who want to sign. Um, there's been a delay, but it was b- because of the pandemic. So it's really nobody's fault. So uh, really, everybody's kind of doing the best they can. And, and we will see after the CBA. I think we're going to have a lot more answers. Hey, Jesse, before we dig into this this year's list specifically, um, for those who may not be familiar with who these players are, who's on this list, uh, give us just a kind of general overview, who the players are, who's eligible, um, where these players are from, who can sign, uh, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, 
So basically, basically an international prospect is eligible to sign with a major league team between for this year, January 15th and December 15th. You know, he must be 16 years old, uh, be 17 before September 1st of the following year to, to sign. And what this is, is this is their first foray into professional baseball. So these these teenagers sign at 16 years old. The teams put them into the academy, into their academies. And when they're at the academies, that's where the club will determine the next step. A lot of times it's for the most part, it's they started the Dominican Summer League. And then after the Dominican Summer League, they come stateside to begin their U.S., you know, their career in the U.S. And that's where um, a lot of the, I mean, primarily most of the international players you see in big league rosters, the international players you see in, in minor league rosters, that's where they come from. They signed during the international signing period. And as we referenced before, it usually starts July 2nd. Now it's in January. Uh, in terms of this year, you know, we expanded it to 50. And then it's really great teamwork on our, you know, every, all everybody on MLB Pipeline, getting it together with the photos, video, scouting reports. I mean, I'm really proud of the work we did as a team. And as far as the 50, a breakdown of the 50, 25 of those 50 are from the Dominican Republic. 15 are from Venezuela. We have four from Cuba, two from Colombia, two from Panama, a player from Bahamas and Mexico. Uh, primarily, they're infielders, but there's also 16 outfielders, two pitchers, and a lot of catchers, specifically from uh, Venezuela this year. And what is consistent every year is you're going to find athletes who are shortstops, center fielders, uh, good athletes, good arms, you know, lots of projections. And a lot of times they'll stay there. But it's not uncommon for, to see these kids, uh, young prospects, you know, move to other positions as they grow into their bodies. You got to remember when they sign, they're 16 years old. And to project what a kid is going to be at 16 and how he's going to make it to the major leagues, that's, that's a pretty tough job. Yeah, Jesse, looking at this year's list, there are typically, there's typically a, a few outliers in terms of guys who are not 16 years old. Uh, there's one in particular this year, and he was eligible last year, uh, chose not to sign during last year's signing period. But Oscar Colas, uh, 22-year-old two-way player from Cuba who has been referred to as the Cuban Otani, a, a uh, sort of lofty nickname to live up to. But the fact that he plays, that he's a uh, pitcher and outfielder uh, from from Cuba has earned him uh, that nickname. Um but really, looking at this year's list, that's really the only player. Uh, there's a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, but uh, this is this this year's list strikes me as being uh, more sort of straightforward, almost entirely 16-year-olds than than typical. Right, I think that's exactly right, and I think that's what it used to be, Jason. Uh, you know, folks on this list were 15 years old, and with a rare exception, um, they were older. I think in the past. A lot of the older players were Cuban players, and a lot of those Cuban players, for many reasons, are not leaving Cuba anymore. Or the reality is, a lot of them have already left, and they're and they're filling up major league rosters and minor league rosters. So maybe that happens in the future, where more Cuban players come over and they're a little bit over the traditional age. But you're exactly right. Uh, for the most part, these are 15 year olds. They're going to sign at 16 and get their career going. Um, the Colas. He is an interesting figure. Uh, he played in Japan. He pitched a little. Um, he's an outfielder. What One thing that really I was informed of this year is he's probably not going to pitch anymore. Maybe he'll do some mop-up duty or maybe uh, something for fun, but that's not part of his package anymore. Um, obviously, it's a skill set he has, but he's going to be a hitter. He's going to be an outfielder. I mean, he's actually supposed to play – and Dominican Winter League with Estrellas Orientales, which is uh, managed by Fernando Tatis Sr. in the Dominican Republic. So that's, an, that's something else to watch. You know, Colas and the Dominican Republic, how he does in Winter League. I mean, if you're a baseball fan, I mean, just pay attention to what's happening down there in the DR. Justin, one of the things that actually sort of jumped out to me is the fact that there are so many young Cubans on, on the list. Um, you know, that's something we didn't used to see, uh, you know, even when talking about signings in, in general, you know, as you guys are talking about, like it used to be more guys like Oscar Colas in terms of the age it have 
things gotten easier? Is it easier for the younger players to leave Cuba than it used to be? Because one of the one of the issues is that the 16 year olds may have been good enough to sign, but they couldn't leave. Um, but there is, you know, you, you have a number of Cubans on this list who are, you know, 16, you know, you've got an 18 year old, but uh, that was one of the things that really jumped out to me. Ha- has the landscape changed in terms of the younger players finding a way to get out of Cuba so they, they can sign at a more age appropriate time? You know what, uh, when dealing with Cubans and talking about Cubans, it's always so complicated because you always have to factor in the political climate and the relationship between the U.S. and, and Cuba. So it's not really necessarily a cut and dried situation. And it's a situation that's always evolving. Um, I mean, you can kind of directly tie to, you know, who, maybe who's the president or, you know, how the governments are getting along. But in terms of baseball, um, you're right. I mean, there are some younger players coming. And I think what that says to me and what it says to a lot of people is, um, you're curious of how strong the city Nacional is. That's their major league. You know, that's their top professional league in Cuba. So if you're seeing guys who don't even want to play there anymore, who see, who understand that um, getting to the minor leagues or getting to the major leagues or, or even leaving the Island is, is a real option. is something you want to do. I mean, more young players are doing it. Um, I'm just really not sure how strong that league is anymore. And, and I think fans and I mean, players, their, their parents, and, you know, they make that difficult decision to leave and they understand they're doing it at a younger age. And I think part of the reason we're seeing the younger guys is because all the older ones have already gone. Jesse, you know, as always, you know, the list is dominated by position players, especially up the middle position players. I, I think the top pitcher on your list is at number 31, in Harley Susana from the Dominican Republic. And it always interests me. I, I understand, you know, it's tough to project pitchers, uh, you know, when they're you know, 14, 15 years old, but we see a number of, of very good international pitchers, you know, obviously in the big leagues. Is it just a case that it's hard to identify them that early for teams? And that's why they don't rank high on the, on the prospect list on an annual basis. I mean, I know you're looking at the Astros, for instance, the Astros have had a lot of success with Christian Javier and Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia and other examples of signing older pitchers for like $20,000 and turning them into big leaguers. Is that just the way the majority of the teams handle it? Or, you know, it, it always interests me that there aren't more pitchers ranked highly on these lists, but I mean, the bonus numbers back them up when you see these guys sign. You know, it's, it is very interesting. I think sometimes, you know, I talk to international scouts and, and we talk about this. Why aren't there more left-handed pitches? Why aren't there more right-handed pitches from across the Caribbean and Latin America signing? And, you know, one thing they tell me is, as you mentioned, it's very difficult to project what a 14, 15 year old kid is going to look like, how he's going to be in the future. Um, is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be a reliever? But one thing they do talk about is arm action. They'll talk about live arm. They'll talk about impressions that a kid makes on them, and they'll take a chance on the player. So when they're just taking a chance on a player because they like his arm or they like his delivery or they like his presence, you know, that isn't someone they're necessarily going to want ranked high. I mean, it's because they feel like they're, they're just taking a shot at him. They see something special. They see the potential there, but they're not completely sold. But they there's enough there to take a chance. So, you know, you add all those things together, and that's part of the reason why consistently over the you know decade or so that we've been putting these lists together, that pitchers just rarely rank up there. Um, it's just not the priority. Definitely pitchers are signed, <coughs> excuse me, later on in, in the in the period but they're just not the top priority. The two pitchers on this list, uh, Jim, you mentioned one, Harley and Susanna. They're, the, the other um, equally large in stature, Susanna's 6'6", 225, uh, 17 years old. And uh, the, you mentioned the only two pitchers on the list. The other, Asimia Morales, uh, who's 6'4", 190. Uh, as a 16-year-old, so a uh, couple of sizable uh, teenage pitchers on the list, the only two on the list. Um, 
Jesse, one thing that that stood out to me, you mentioned that we expanded the list this year to 50. um, And every team, every big league organization, with the exception of one, the A's, is represented on that top 50 list. Um, But it seems to be pretty well distributed because only two of the teams have two of the top 30 guys. Um, The Nationals have two of the top six, which is by far the best in terms of having uh, some of the uh, uh, higher ranked prospects on the list. The White Sox have number five and number 28. Um, there are three teams with three top 50 guys. Uh, it's the Red Sox, Reds, Twins, Padres, and Mariners each have three apiece, but it seems to be very well distributed. You're exactly right. I think that speaks to the fact that all 30 teams didn't say that this. maybe the A's aren't represented, but that doesn't mean they're not doing good work down there. As we all know, um, you know, we do our best to do these lists. We do our homework. We take a year to do this. We make all the phone calls. We do all the homework. But, you know, some guys, sometimes guys fall through the cracks. And it is hard to, you know, it was hard to make a top 30 list. And you would think it'd be easier to make a top 50. But it's actually more difficult because it opens up, you know, more candidates to make the cut, you know, to make the list. So, uh, the fact that the A's aren't represented that isn't really an indictment on on what they do or any lack of hard work. It just kind of speaks to how difficult it is to put the uh, the list together. But back to your your first question, um, every team is involved. I think every team understands. You know, the draft is important. I think every team understands. You know, minor league free agents, the trade deadline, um, off season acquisitions, and every team understands that acquiring international talent is an important part of your system. It's something that you're going to have to do. I mean, you have to build up minor league rosters. You have to sign guys who can be the next Wander Franco. You have to look for the next Vlad Guerrero. But you also have to look for guys who could be parts of trade trades. You know, if you, if you look at all the major trades consistently over the past several years, there's always going to be like a, 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 a DSL pitcher. There's going to be a double-A pitcher, a, a, a position player. And a lot of these times they're, they're international guys who teams have scouted and who've wanted and they ask for in trades. So if you can trade an international player to bring back, you know, a young international, you know, low A or double A guy to bring back a big leaguer, you know, that's an important part of your job as a GM. So we're, what we're seeing now is everybody's really understanding how important the international game is just, you know, for your present and also for your future. All right. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. We're talking to Jesse Sanchez, who has assembled the top 50 international prospects list, which you can view the entire list on MLB.com slash pipeline. Um, right now, Jesse, let's focus on the, the players at the top of the list. Um, the top five on the list, Roderick Arias, uh, shortstop. Um, and he is currently believed to, uh, be headed to the Yankees. He, the Yankees are the favorite to sign him. He's a switch hitting, uh, shortstop, um, number two on the list, Christian Vaquero, number three, Ricardo Cabrera, uh, number four, William Bergala. And we spoke earlier about number five, Oscar Colas. Let's, let's go down the list there at the top five. Roderick Arias, I feel like. I feel like he's gotten a little less publicity than the number one overall international prospect over the past several years. Is, is, is that the case or not, not necessarily? You know, I think that kind of speaks to the climate, not just in baseball, kind of just in the world, right? Everybody's dealing with a pandemic. Everyone's trying to do the best they can. And um, I wouldn't say he was training in, in secrecy or in silence or anything like that. But what's happening in the international world, um, it's they're kind of just struggling or, or having a hard time to get notoriety, to get attention. It's just training in silence. So I think now that you know things are opening up, we've kind of things are getting back to normal. We're giving the attention to the players, the, the attention they deserve. And the same thing could be happening. That can be said for Roderick. Um, he's a player, you know, maybe in a different year, maybe in a different time, things are normal. We've been talking about him for a long time. But I think uh, given the, you know, 
global climate, um, that just wasn't the case. So what we're trying to do now, especially with expanding our list of 50, is, is make up for some of that. You know, let's, let's give the international players and some of the attention that, that they deserve. So man, I think you could be on to something saying, you know, it doesn't have the fanfare of some of the other um, prospects, number one prospects in years past. The reality is uh, we were down there in the Dominican. We were down in Venezuela. We were down there for all these events and we were tweeting about them. We were sending video about them. We were writing stories about them, but things shut down down there. So we weren't able to go. There weren't any really big showcases going on. The big tryouts, there wasn't big tryouts. Um, there were private workouts, but they're private workouts. So um, I think that speaks to why we're just kind of catching up on who these players were. But going forward, hopefully things open up and we can get back to the Dominican, we can get back to Latin America, uh, the Caribbean, and start writing and tweeting and, and writing stories about these players in person. I mean, I'd love to sit down with Roderick. I'd love to sit down with Vaquero. I'd love to sit down with all these players. The reality is, is because of the circumstances, we just haven't been able to do that. All right, Jesse, yeah. give us a give us a snapshot of of Arias. Why is he the the number one ranked prospect on this list? Well, you, you just think about. I mean, as we wrote in our uh, our scouting report, he has plus arm potential. You know, he has a great arm. He's effortless. He's always in position to make the right play and with great footwork and good hands and above average range. You know, he's above. A- I mean, he's basically going to be above average across the tool tool set. You know. Uh, above average bat the ball skills, great strike zone awareness, power from both sides of the plate, which is, you know, a great commodity to have, which is very appealing to a lot of clubs, um, opposite field power, pool power. I mean, you just think about, you know, you design what you want an international prospect to look like, you know, that that's what he is. And you also add that he's 16 years old and he's six foot one, he's already 180. He's only going to continue to get bigger. So you you think about the tools he has now. You project what he's going to look like in the future. And, you know, speaking with all the international scouts and just the international community, he's the one that continues to be named as the consensus number one. Jesse, I'm curious, you know, and, and maybe this is hard to answer. It sounds very similar to, you know, uh, when Jim and I were trying to put together our especially our early draft list last year after a summer where there was, you know, no Cape Cod league and for college players and things of that nature. But looking at this list and maybe sticking with the, you know, the, the very top, the elite, you know, guys on on this elite list, how does it compare to the last couple of years? Is is that even a, a, is that too difficult to answer because you you can't, you, you don't know enough or have seen enough of this class compared to how much you saw, the others are, you know, often a familiarity bias. I find when you know you've seen a bunch of, you know, a certain crop of players. La- you know, last year for us, I can say like with the draft class, I was much more familiar with the high school guys because they had this regular summer showcase circuit. So I had to make sure that I wasn't, you know, over over ranking them. But compared to the last couple of years, how, how does this class stack up? Do you think? You know, I think you, you guys nailed it. I mean, I think you understand how difficult it is to put these things together, especially during a pandemic, especially when you're not really seeing the guys all the time. Um, What that did this year, it made putting the uh, top 50 list, international prospects list, even more difficult than before. Um, It probably doubled or tripled the amount of phone calls, amount of homework you have to do to get as much information as you can to fill in all the gaps as you can um, because the reality is, once upon a time, we were there, we'd be there watching them work out. We would be there sitting next to scouts, getting evaluations. Um, that's not the reality anymore. So it actually made putting this list together a little bit more difficult than it was in the past, just because we can't get our eyes on them. We can't get our eyes on the scouts. We're relying on um, a lot of phone calls, We're relying on text messages, on uh, WhatsApp is, you know, one of those apps that's, that's crucial to in the international world because uh, everybody uses it. Um, as far as comparing, you know, each class has their own identity. You know, there. If we go back and we can look at all of our lists from 
when we started, we're going to look at some and maybe some never, none of them make it. Um, we'll look at some and, you know, we'll, we'll, we can evaluate and look back and say what was great. I mean, one thing that stands out for me is, you know, I've ranked when Fernando Tatis came out, Junior, Fernando Tatis Jr. came out as number 30. You know, uh, Juan Soto was number 22. You know, so it's it's hard to uh, to compare these players uh, uh, class to class just because, you know, like I said, some classes are stronger than others. But I think that the thought and the sentiment this year is there's definitely a group up top. You think of our top 10, you think of our top 15. Those are the separators. But then there's a lot of guys who are kind of in the middle and they're there's talent there and they're really not hard to separate but they're just a larger group of the middle chunk of players. So that's one thing that really sticks out about this year's class. All right, Jesse, uh, quickly, we, we have some questions. Uh, we always wrap up our episodes with questions from the mailbag and we have some that pertain to you. So we wanted to have you answer those. Uh, but quickly before we do, can you just give us a, a quick rundown of the next three guys on the list Christian Picaro, Ricardo Cabrera, and William Burgle, the number two, three, and four on the list. Okay, real quick. So Christian Vaquero, he's an outfielder. He's originally from Cuba. He was a left-handed hitter, but he learned how to switch hit once he left Cuba. He's big. He's six foot three, 190 pounds. I mean, one of the ideas or one of the people that come up that I think about is Jordan Alvarez. He's just a big power hitting outfielder. Uh, number two, Ricardo Cabrera, shortstop from Venezuela. Um, another great Venezuelan shortstop prospect, you know, uh, tons of advanced uh, pitch recognition. He can spray the ball all over the field. Uh, he knows the strike zone well. Defense, um, again, it's consistent with the great infield prospects that come out of Venezuela. Great hands, great footwork, you know, really good range, and he's going to be a pretty good shortstop. Um, last one, William Borgoya. Uh, Junior, you know, he's the son of a uh, former major leaguer. He shows he's a shortstop, uh, shows solid back to, you know, back to ball skills, you know, advanced approach and another under, really good understanding of the strike zone on defense. Same thing, consistent with uh, the Venezuelan infielders, good footwork, good hands, good arm, um, really good range and, and tons of baseball instincts. So it's a pretty good list. Um, and I really look forward to seeing how these see, first seeing them sign and then following them as they make their way through the minor leagues. And that's one of the beauties of, you know, our top 50 is we get to allow fans to see who they are at 15 right now before they sign or 16 years old. And then once they sign, you know, we're going to be tweeting it. We're going to be writing stories on pipeline. We're going to see all these stories on MLB.com and Las Mayores, our Spanish site, and they can follow them their entire career. And I, I think that's one of the, the coolest things we all do as a company. All right. So these, these players are not eligible to sign until January. However, Jesse, you do have a beat on which teams are the favorites to sign them. And uh, the top five that we just uh, discussed, uh, Roderick Arias, uh, the favorite to sign him is the Yankees. Christian Piquero, the Nationals are the favorite to sign him. Ricardo Cabrera, uh, the Reds are the favorite to sign him. And William Bergoya, Phillies and Oscar Colas, White Sox. And then we didn't get to uh, number six, but worth noting that uh, Anthony Gutierrez is also uh, expected to sign with the Nationals, which would give them two of the top six players on this list. Uh, all right, Jesse, I mentioned we had some questions from readers. Um, the first one comes from uh, one of our regular readers and listeners and question submitters, Stephen DeLazio, who says, international prospects tend to take a while to reach the majors, yet still carry the same excitement as draft picks from the top five international prospects. Who would you say is their ceiling comparison? And I don't know if you um, can do that for all five of them. And you, you did mention uh, Jordan Alvarez already when speaking of Christian Vaccaro, but any other comps and i know i know jim and jonathan are comp uh comp haters but uh any other any comps you can make here you know um one thing that really stands out especially the shortstops 
I mean, they're all six foot and over, you know, six foot 175, six foot 180. So they're those, the Manny Machados in high school kind of build, you know, the, the Alex Rodriguez in high school, you know, those kind of, of comps. If I had to put something on those guys, um, as we, as we know, you know, three are, are, are the top five are shortstops. Um, so that's, that's the immediately thing that comes to mind. Um, again, it's hard to compare, you know, what a 15 year old is going to look like and think about, you know, how he's going to be like in the major leagues, but you know, those, that's the immediate thing that comes to mind. Like these shortstops in the top five are really big. Uh, Vaquero, 6'3", 190. I mean, he's 16 years old and it's, he's only going to get bigger. He's going to grow. He's going to get bigger. So the, the uh, Jordan Alvarez comes to mind there. Um, so that's probably where I would comp these guys, you know, the big shortstops, compare them to the Mannies and the Alexes, compare the, uh, you know, uh, Vaquero to uh, Jordan. Okay. And we have a couple questions, not surprisingly, uh, about the number one ranked prospect, Roderick Arias. Uh, one question, when the Yanks sign Roderick Arias, will he be our number one prospect? And adding on to that, will he rank in the top 100? And then uh, another question, once Roderick Arias is signed, where do you think he lands in the top 100 prospects list? So, um, you know, Jim and Jonathan, this may be uh, a question for you as well. And Jim, in particular, you handle the Yankees list, but you're both involved in the top 100. And I guess it's it's not too often that a, an international signee jumps right into the top 100. Right. For me, I mean, I guess yeah, it's, uh, Jim and Jonathan can speak and you, Jason, can speak to this. Like how what do you think of the trajectory of uh, Jason Dominguez? You know, uh, how did he go from being a 16 year old to jumping on the top 100 or, you know, the Yankees top list? You know, what was that process like? Um, it's very difficult. I mean, because especially now when you get these young players, because they're basically just going to play in the Dominican Summer League. And a lot of our evaluation and our thoughts are going to come from, you know, the reporting that we do, the conversations we have. I think if we rely specifically on the stats from the Dominican Summer League or those those early, uh, you know, low A or, or, or Ricky League ball, it, it's kind of hard to to project and, and, and place them based on that. Um, to say Arias was going to be the number one prospect, I mean, the Yankees have some pretty good guys now. So it's hard to say he's better than Jason Dominguez. It's hard to say he's better than Barasa and, and Anthony Volpe. But uh, so I don't know. It's, it's a really difficult question to, to answer. Right now I would say no, but I think maybe that's still to be determined. Um, and I'd be really interested to hear how, you know, Jim and, and Jonathan would approach that. Yeah, we haven't put too many top 100 guys, I mean, too many international guys straight on the top 100. Um, we did it with Kevin Maiton, which didn't work out. And we've done it with Jason Dominguez, and he's just getting going. Um, I, I'd say we probably wouldn't put him on the top 100 right away. And, and then that would answer the Yankees question very easily. I mean, he, he won't be their number one prospect because Anthony Volpe's, I think, number 15 on the top 100 right now. And Jason Dominguez, who we're very aggressive with, is number 17. But we're not going to take a 16-year-old international shortstop and put him at number 15 on the top 100, like no matter how good he is. And I, and I just think within this, the organization, it is a little easier to compare him apples to apples. I mean, Jesse just mentioned Volpe and Praza. You know, both those guys are shortstops. You know, Volpe, you know, is having a great year and he's in high A. And Praza is having a really good year and he's in double A. So those guys have proven themselves at much higher levels. And, and they're both very young. I mean, Volpe's only 20, Praza's 21. Like Luis Hill, who, who's had, you know, big league success, is on the top 100 as well. So, I mean, I think he would have a chance to, you know, I mean, I think an aggressive ranking would be to put him somewhere in the top 10 in the Yankees system. But I don't think there's any way he'd be number one right away. Um, and, you know, I don't know about you, Jonathan. I, I would say... I mean, Jason Dominguez, I was having guys, and I don't even do international stuff like Jesse does, tell me about Jason Dominguez two years in advance. Um, and and I, I think he kind of is an exception to the rule. Yeah, I think I think that's it exactly. He is the exception to the rule. And and, and even Kevin Maiton 
coming out, uh, you know, was an exception to the rule. I think the only other guy in, in memory at all who was sort of came close in terms of hype may have been Miguel Sano. And that may have been more around the controversy about signing him than, than anything else. But obviously he had uh, tremendous offensive tools. But, uh, you know, obviously the only thing that I know about Arias is, is reading Jesse's report. And, you know, it does not jump off the page as much as Dominguez did, along with the fact that, you know, people were talking about Dominguez. You know, there, there, there was so much more hype there. And, you know, listen, it, it may be that uh, the he doesn't live up to to that hype. We'll have to wait and see. And, and Arias might end up being an incredible player. But based on what it sounds like now, he is more of that has been the case with most of the top international signees and, and the guys who are at the top of these lists is let's wait and see what happens once they really get going, not necessarily in, in the DSL. Uh, I guess the you know, one positive about the new timing is that these guys can sign and then they go out and play that summer as opposed to signing in the summer. And you don't really get a sense until the following year. So the, uh, they, they are able to, to play a little bit more quickly. Um, so, you know, let's, let's wait and see, um, you know, but I would, I would definitely have him behind Dominguez. Who's, who's number two on that Yankees list. And and if you're going to have him off of the top 100, then he's got to be behind the other guys Jim mentioned. And I would, and I would not put him on, on the top 100 based, based on, on, on Jesse's very thorough report. It just does not, doesn't jump out as a guy who should be an exception to what has largely been that rule. And to put it in perspective, I think when, when Dominguez, uh, jumped onto the top 100 prospects list uh, right after being signed. If I'm not mistaken, his ranking of number 54 was the highest we'd ever ranked uh, a 16-year-old international signee. There, of course, have been exceptions to the rule, um, you know, with older players, uh, Shohei Otani being uh, first and foremost. But, uh, yeah, to to put it in perspective, the exception, Jason Dominguez, uh, ranked number 54 when he first went on the top 100. All right, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. Um, excellent work on your your top international prospects list as usual and uh, bonus material this year as we expanded from 30 to 50. That list uh, you can find on MLBpipeline.com. Go check it out, all 50 players, uh, the teams that they are expected to sign with, scouting reports on all of them, video, photos, get to know these players who – uh, we'll be joining a, a team's farm system uh, near you in the coming months. Thanks a lot, Jesse. Thank you. It's always a blast to talk to you guys. All right. When we come back, we are going to talk about our recent farm system rankings and the correlation between having a strong farm system and subsequent big league success. That's coming up next on the MLP Pipeline Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, again, thanks to Jesse Sanchez for joining us to talk about the top 50 international prospects list. Another list that we put out recently, our list of farm system, our, our farm system rankings, the top, uh, we ranked all 30 teams. Um, the top 10 quickly, the Orioles, Mariners, Marlins, Pirates, Royals, Rays, Tigers, Giants, D-backs, and Reds. Um, and if you are fans of those teams, you can reasonably expect success from your big league team uh, in the not-so-distant future. Uh, we we're looking back at our ranking of the top 10 farm systems going back to 2015 when we started doing this. We do a preseason list and a midseason list. And over the course of the past 12 rankings, um, nearly every team has reached the postseason within three years of being ranked in the top 10. Uh, so going back to 2015, nine out of the 10 teams 
reached uh, the postseason within three years uh, in both the preseason and midseason lists. In 2016, eight out of 10 on both the preseason and midseason lists. Um, 2017, six out of the 10 on uh, the preseason list and seven out of the 10 and the midseason list. 2018, all but one team out of the 20 uh, between the preseason and midseason rankings reached the playoffs within three years. That can the trend continued into 2019. Now, of course, we're getting into years where we haven't we don't have a full three year window to look at, but um, as it stands now, of the 120 teams that ranked in the top 10, 95 of them have reached the postseason within three years after being ranked in the top 10, and there are still 12 teams that could do it, uh, as we still have uh, a couple years uh, to go uh, with that three-year window. So we we could end up with nearly 90% of the teams that ranked in our top 10 reaching the postseason within three years. And I know you know when we put out these rankings. A lot of times, you know, you see a lot of chatter about like, oh, look at this, you know, this is exactly why having a farm system uh, isn't, you know, doesn't guarantee success. And while it doesn't guarantee it, those are pretty good numbers. Yeah, I don't know if it guarantees that you're going to win a World Series, but, but the, I mean, we've said this time and time again. The, the, the most cost-efficient way to build a team is through the farm system. I mean, that's why every time a team fires its GM and hires a new GM, the new GM doesn't come in and go, oh, we're just going to spend money like you know drunken sailors and buy all the free agents. Every one of those guys talks about how they have to do a better job building talent from within, and, and, it, and, it, and it correlates. I mean, you know, I, I, when I wrote the intro to our farm system rankings in the spring, I just looked at the number one teams and, and you know, we started ranking, as you mentioned, Jason, before the 2015 season, our first three teams that ranked number one, the Cubs, Red Sox, and Dodgers all won world series shortly afterward. Um, the next two teams that were number one, Brewers and Braves have made three straight playoff appearances and are probably going to do four straight this year. Next couple teams were the White Sox and Padres, who, you know, the Padres have fallen off a little bit this year, but they both ended long postseason droughts and are pretty well positioned for the for the future. And then the team that that up until the Orioles took over the number one spot this time was number one three straight times was the Rays. And, and we've all seen what the Rays have done, you know, with, with very few financial resources. So, uh, you know, it's. I, I think ranking these things is hard. I, I make my standard joke that anytime we rank these, we have one team and its fans think we did a great job of putting their team where it belongs, and 29 teams and their fans think we ranked them too low. Um, and it's not easy, but but there is a strong correlation uh, between you know these rankings and success. And I'll even take it back to my my days at Baseball America, where we started ranking, you know, farm systems. Well, before I got there in 1989, they started ranking them in 1984. And really, of all the team, you just look at the number one teams, the only team that, that didn't have, you know, playoff success pretty soon thereafter was the 1997 Pirates for whatever reason. You know, you know almost all the other teams, yeah, I, I didn't go back and, 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 and check out all, all the rankings I did there, like you did, Jason, with the ones we've done at, at Pipeline, but I bet you'd see the same correlation, that if you have one of baseball's better farm systems, you're probably going to be in the playoffs in the next couple of years. I'm a little disappointed Jim didn't do that work. I, I will. I'll get to it at some point. Yeah. So. Um, and uh, so, and now you're guaranteeing that the Orioles will win a World Series. Is that that's my takeaway? Well, no, that. no. I said the first three teams, but but they should be. <laughs> uh, they should be. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I think I think that's it. It's never a guarantee because obviously, then you know, you're you're you may be really good at accruing talent, but uh, you know, if your player development system you know, uh, isn't working as well. And, or if, uh, you know, you're not calling up guys and putting them in positions of success in the, uh, at the big league level, that, that can, that can have a negative impact on building a, a strong farm system where you make trades that don't go your way, you know, various things have to fall into place. But, uh, you know, I know, uh, you know, the Orioles, uh, fans, the fan base is, you know, a little, despondent about you know the the run of really bad years but i do actually think that the the front office there knows what it's doing mike elias you know was part of the team in houston that that did this very thing where they had you know a few really bad seasons and then and then uh they were able to rebuild the farm system and and it, and it got them there now the al east is a tough place you know and you mentioned the rays the 
the rays are kind of like a unicorn just because uh, you know it is so hard, and we've talked about this ad nauseum that you know how difficult it is to win and maintain a really strong farm system year after year after year. You know, the Dodgers did it, but the Dodgers have you know incredible amounts of resources, and even their farm system has taken a little hit with some of the the trades they made. So they're not as high as they were, but the Rays really have had a, a very prolonged stretch of a deep and rich farm system and competing in a ridiculous division that is, you know, to me, that's the standard bearer. That's like, I think, you know, if you talk to other front office executives, they wouldn't shy away from saying the Rays are just doing it. They're doing it right. Now, looking back um, over those past 12 farm system rankings that we've done, being in the top two uh, has has been all but a guarantee that the team will reach the playoffs within the next three years. Um, the one exception was the White Sox, who were number one in our 2017 midseason list, um, did not reach the playoffs within that three-year window, but here they are now. I think the White Sox, you know, for, for them, it was real, maybe they took a little bit longer because they kind of tore their team down to the studs. But I mean, they only had to wait three and a half years. And if you stretch it to three and a half years, you know, counting when they were ranked, every number one team, every number two team and every number three team made it. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a pretty, it's it just, again, I mean, <laughs> as hard as these are to do and as imprecise as they are, they have a pretty good track record of, predi- of predicting future success. It is pretty amazing. It used to be that like rebuilds, you know, that, that whole idea, you know, could take, you know, five or six years. I feel like organizations by and large have learned how to turn things around more quickly than, than they used to. And, you know, I, I don't know if there's a, a specific reason for it, but the fact that, you know, three and a half years is the out is like the outlier. Like that, I think that's pretty impressive that there have been teams that, you know, were pretty bad at the major league level and managed to sort of flip the script in a relatively quick fashion. And there is some buildup to reaching the point of being ranked number one or number two on the farm systems list. So, uh, you know, maybe not, maybe not so quick as, you know, a two or three year rebuild. There is some, some time that goes into developing that, that ranking. Fair enough. Uh, the complete farm system rankings are on MLB.com slash pipeline. You can check them out there. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to break down the three newest members of the top 100 prospects list. Benny Montgomery, Louis Heel, and Ryan Rollison. That's coming up next on the MLB pipeline podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, We're going to do a segment uh, that we do just about every week where we look at the newest additions to the top 100 prospects list as prospects graduate from that list based on uh, exhausting their rookie eligibility. Uh, We add new players to the bottom of the list and we have three players to discuss who have entered the list since we last spoke to you last week benny montgomery uh joined the list uh when daniel lynch graduated uh montgomery uh 2021 
draft pick. Luis Heel, uh, Yankees pitching prospect, joined the list uh, when uh, we had, I guess, kind of an unfortunate. Usually these are based on graduations, uh, right, guys? But uh, this one, not based on a, a graduation exactly, uh, as we had to replace a player uh, who had Tommy John surgery. We'll talk about that momentarily. And then Ryan Rollison uh, just joined the list last night as Brandon Marsh graduated. Um, Jonathan, let's start off with you. Uh, a couple of these players, uh, Rockies, which is your organization, and Benny Montgomery, as I said, a 2021 draft pick uh, joining the list. Yeah, it's interesting. With uh, Montgomery and Rollison, I was realizing it's the first time that the Rockies have had three top 100 prospects since I think 2018. So a step in the right direction. Zach Veen is, you know, or uh, their their uh, first round pick from 2020 uh, is right in the middle and having of the top 100 and is having a really good first full season. And Montgomery is another you know, toolsy high school outfielder that uh, that they took number eight overall. Uh, you know, has all the tools. Tremendous raw power, plus plus speed. Great arm can play a plus center field. Uh, you know, the only question at all was the the hit tool he's got kind of an unorthodox setup and and swing uh but does uh, have a tendency to barrel up the baseball and make very loud contact i think the the one thing that sort of held him back um you know in terms of where he might go and he ended up going in in, in you know in the top 10 um but were was the fact that not everyone was thrilled with that that swing path and and whether it would work it's sort of a hunter pensy kind of unorthodox swing. Um, but people liked him, kind of saw Jason Worth in him. You know, he he's he is big and, and super athletic and uh, you know, adds another exciting outfield prospect to to go along with Veen. And I think the hope is, you know, you have Montgomery in center and Veen in a corner maybe, uh, when when all is said and done, uh the, you know, they have a, a ways to go to get there, but uh, you know, high end talent. That if uh, if that swing works or you can make tweaks to it, then Montgomery could really take off. And I'll just double up and talk about Rollison now. Um, so we'll get both my Rockies, and then Jim can talk about Luis Heel from the- real quick. Jonathan, was was that a double comp you just did? Pence and Pence and Worth in one. Uh- I did. That I only do double comps now. I, you know, I, I, you know what it is. I've, I'm emboldened. By the fact that Jim loved my uh, my Marcella Meyer comp, where I combined two players in one um, in my comp, so that's now I, oh, I will that's only mention you. two players when I comp a guy. All right, R- and I don't Ryan really, Rollins. I don't really comp any Montgomery to Hunter Pence. I was just using that as an example of a guy no, no. who, like, uh, you know, if anyone saw Hunter Pence. You know, in, like when he was an amateur and saw that, like the way he swung the bat, even in, with the success in the big leagues, no one would be like, oh, yeah, that's that's the way you want to do it. Um, but it worked. You know, and I think Benny Montgomery has got some similarities there. Um, Ryan Rollison, you know, is a guy who was kind of flirted with the top 100 a bunch of times. The, their first round pick from 2018, uh, kind of polished college lefty. Uh, you know, he's had some. Some injury issues, uh, had a fractured hand uh, that he's now come back for from. Um, you know, it's more, I think, this is one of these guys that doesn't scream high ceiling, but it's a really high floor. Uh, and I think, you know, that had he been fully healthy this year, he probably would have been in the big leagues already. Um, but he's got enough good stuff, uh, you know, above average fastball plus curveballs as best pitch. He's got a slider and a changeup. Uh, and he and he uses all of them really well, so it's a legitimate four pitch mix that he can command well. Uh, you know, so he's you know, but because it doesn't jump off the page, it doesn't throw super hard. Uh, you know, the the ceiling might seem a little bit more limited to that of a mid rotation starter, but assuming health and he can get some innings under him, he's super close to actually reaching that ceiling. So, Jonathan, I have a, a quick quiz for you in, in honor. I think we should officially should be officially. Danny Gentili quick quizzes, but this is a true or false. So Danny will like this one because it'll be a, a quick answer. But but given that he had at least plus raw power, speed, arm strength, center field ability, true or false, Benny Montgomery 
best all-around physical tools in the 2021 draft. True. Okay. I, I believe true also. Yes. And it's a question of him, you know, putting those tools to use on a consistent basis as a pro. The eighth overall pick is the 12th 2021 draftee to uh, enter the top 100 prospects list now. All right, Jim, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, A, the addition of Luis Heal to the top 100 prospects list and the circumstances uh, surrounding that. Yeah, so so Heal, you know, we, we've seen him in the big leagues, and he was a guy who I've I've – kind of not pushed, but I guess I voted for him when various top 100 ballots in the past because he's got a live arm. Uh, you know, great job by the Yankees. The Yankees do a really nice job of, of, you know, they don't get a lot of attention for it because it's not as splashy and you tend to look at their big stars. But they do a nice job of making trades. Their professional scouting department does a really nice job. And in 2017, they didn't really have room for Jake Cave on the roster and they sent him to the Twins for Luis Hill, Hill, who had signed for 90,000 out of the Dominican Republic and had missed a year after shoulder surgery and come back. It was actually 2018. I misspoke. They got him and he's done nothing but miss bats and fly through the Yankee system since then. We've seen him, you know, because of the way you can manipulate rosters, he's only been in, I think, in the big leagues for three days, but he's made a start on each of those three days and he's yet to give up a run. So he, to this point, he's, he's made three starts for the Yankees, 15 and two thirds innings, no runs, 18 strikeouts. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, really live arm, 95, 98. He'll hold that velocity. He's got a, a power breaking ball that's got slider velo and curveball shape. He's got a his changeup can get a little bit hard at times, but it's got some fade and sink to it. And you know, it, it comes down with him if he throws consistent strikes. I think he's going to be a successful starter. And if he has trouble doing that, and he has had had some inconsistency with that in the past. Then he winds up, I, I think, being a late inning reliever, but but a great arm and great pickup by the Yankees, and and yeah, you know his addition to the list, he replaced Jake Eater, and we sometimes will adjust guys on the top 100 prospects list, you know, based on injury. You know, a lot of times, it, it, it I think a lot of times, Jonathan, it feels like we do it based on when we're set to do the next list, um, and in this case. We had just done a new list. It had Jake Eater. I think he was number 81. He's great debut in double A for the Marlins, and he's more consistent. You know, He's showing the same stuff he flashed at Vanderbilt, but on a consistent basis. And, and just when we talked about it with Sam Dykstra, you know, we're not going to do another list until next January, and Eater likely is going to miss all of 2022. So realistically, would we rank him on that list when he isn't going to pitch at all in 2022? And we decided the answer was probably no. So we we took Jake Eater off the list and, and put Luis Hill on the list. So you know, wish you know Jake Eater obviously a, a, a speedy recovery and Tommy John surgery. You feel good about a guy coming back from that, but the reality of it is, I mean, he's probably not going to pitch at all next year. And right. I mean, you know, I, I think that affects his 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 prospect value to some degree. Yeah, I was thinking about it. I mean, that's kind of what pushed me over the edge in, in terms of, yeah, we probably should take him off, was that would we rank him when we do our list again, you know, in the winter for the top 100? And it's not just the timing of, in relation to when we we rank, but also in relation to the the year, all right? If he had had Tommy John surgery in April, let's say, and you're like, well, you know, he's going to, and he was on the top 100. He's like, well, he'll be back at some point, you know, May or June next year, then maybe we if we believe in him, we tuck him at the at the very back end of the list or something like that. But because of the timing of the injury and the surgery, that's going to force him to miss an entire season. Uh, you know, and he's not 18 years old. Uh, you know, it made a lot more sense. And yeah, I, I hope he does come back and and gives the the Marlins uh, another really good pitching prospect that it looked like he was on the way to becoming. Jim, you mentioned uh, off the air before we started this segment that. Uh, the changes to the top 100 list, the recent ones, have now resulted in a massive tie uh, in terms of teams with the most top 100 prospects. There are now seven different teams that have a league-best five top 100 prospects, the Orioles, Indians, Royals, Marlins, Pirates, Rays, and Rangers. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, we, we talked earlier about the, you know, even distribution of the top 50 international prospects among the 30 teams and looking at the top 100 now 
there are 23 teams that have three or more top 100 prospects. Um, only the Cubs, Angels, and Brewers, who have two each, A's and Phillies, who have one each, and the White Sox and Astros, who are the only two unrepresented teams, have fewer than three. And, and of course, if you you know average it out between the 30 teams, they would each average approximately uh, you know 3.3 uh, top 100 prospects per team. And uh, I, I don't know. I, this seems like one of the more evenly distributed top 100 lists that I can remember. Yeah, I felt that way too. It's funny, Jason, because I, 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 I like to look. We have a, a Google Doc that has all of our prospect rankings in it. And I, for whatever reason, I enjoy taking two minutes to resort the, uh, the prospect point and, and total count leaders and, and, and representation by country every time there's a change to the list. And I noticed that when I was, up, I was resorting that this morning, I had the same exact thought that it's crazy how everybody's clustered in the middle to the, you know, much more, you know, it's, you know, we had not that it was clustered much differently, but you know, the Marlins had six eater, you know, we knocked off the list. The Royals had six Lynch came off the list, but like, I don't think I've ever seen a seven way tie for the most prospects. And then we've got, looks like it's what nine with four, four top 100 prospects, and then seven more clubs with three. Uh, But, but that, that was very striking to me also. Parody baby. All right, let's wrap up this edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast, as we always do, by answering a question from the mailbag. This one comes from Gary Crawford, uh, his Twitter handle, at BaseballPlayaOF, outfielder maybe. Um, Gary asks, who are some of the guys who you could see jumping into the top 100 if they keep progressing? Uh, I know that you guys have a list of players um, that are ready to be plugged in as we need them. Uh, based on graduations from the top 100 prospect list. But I think those guys are guys who are going to go on the list regardless of whether they keep progressing because that would be a a very near-term sort of thing. And, um, you know, those guys are likely going on regardless. So I think this question is probably looking ahead a bit more. So uh, give us some guys who, who you see fitting this bill, guys who could jump into the top 100 if they keep progressing. Jim, you want me to go first? Either one of us is fine. I'm, I'm fine either way. You, <laughs> really? either you have the inbox. I felt like it was your – you have the inbox this That's week. That's true. So I will like go first. your question. I was gonna, deferring to you. Well, you know, I think the easy thing is to look at the, the number one farm system in baseball, the Baltimore Orioles. So I'm going to go with Jake uh, – Jake, sorry. I'm going to go with Jordan Westberg, uh, who the Orioles selected in the competitive, competitive balance – a round 30th overall in 2020 and all he has done is gone out and hit his way from low a to double a this year um and he he just got to double a not that long he's played about not quite a dozen games there and it's taking you know it's struggle with the the adjustment there but you know good approach he runs well. I mean, he's got double digits homers and powers. He had 366 in A ball, and I was like, clearly that was too, you know, not enough of a challenge. And high A, uh, he was very, very good, and uh, has you know, and has made his way up to 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 double A to kind of put him, you know, kind of high on the on the map. They, you know, with him and Gunnar Henderson, they have these kind of bigger, very athletic middle infielder types. Uh, now, whether or not they stay at shortstop. He remains to be seen, but uh, I think the bat is going to play. And I think Westberg's the kind of guy that if he, let's say he goes to the fall league and hits really well there and or, you know, hits the ground running next year, I think he is a guy who has gone from being like a, kind of an interesting college draft pick to a guy who has performed really, really well this year and is now on my radar as a as a future top 100 guy. Well you, well, you know me. I'm going to give you two, but I'm going to keep them tight here. And it, it, both these guys actually came up when I was doing the pipeline inbox last week, Jonathan. I got multiple questions on both. I, I actually answered a question on one of these guys, but not the other. 
And actually, as I'm looking at this guy's stats, I almost feel like we should add him to the list right now, even though he's not next on tap. He's not on our, our short list of guys to add. But that would be Nick York um, of the Red Sox, who was you know, the big surprise in the first round of last year's draft. Hadn't been seen a lot because he was hurt as a junior and there wasn't much of a, a senior season for him. And the Red Sox just were all in on the bat. They, they, they loved the bat. They, they didn't pick in the second round. They lost a pick for sign stealing. They didn't think they were going to get him in the third round. And... You know, Nick York got off to a slow start this year, but I'll give you guys a quick quiz. You guys know what Nick Ops, Nick York's ops is this year, and he just got promoted to, to high A. Well, um, I, I do because I'm looking at it. I do okay. not. Okay, Jonathan, go ahead and guess. Well, what do you think would be a good year for a 19 year old making his pro debut most of the year in low A? Well, a good year, yeah. So I'm going to guess above what I would you have. Can guess so above I'm going to say it's uh, 1100. Well, come on. There isn't anybody in the minors with 1,100 ops right now. You set, you, you set okay, me well, up. Well, you failed. 980. Okay, well, he has a 940 ops because you that, guessed yeah. ridiculously. But he's in 331 <laughs> uh, with almost as many walks as strikeouts. Um, so Nick York is one. And, I mean, the bat has been, you know, every, you know, even well, – I can't say every bit as good as expected. I think even better than expected. I mean, we had heard from some people that, you know, there were some questions about his arm coming back from an injury and maybe his defensive position. But like there were some guys who thought this guy might've been one of the better high school hitters on the West coast. And apparently he was, cause he's had a great debut. And then the other guy, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to have Jonathan guess any statistical performance for him because Jonathan is no fun. I'm ruling you no fun, Jonathan. And I have high I expectations. If Nick York doesn't have an 1100 OPS, I don't, I don't want to talk about don't it. See, I'm going to ask you to guess what Yuri Perez's ERA would be in his pro debut, but you would guess like 0.35. So. 1.26. Well, see, you're too low again. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, Yuri Perez, I have I have a, a loyal group of Marlins fans very upset that Yuri Perez is not in the top 100. First heard about him in Instructional League last year. Uh, you know, six foot eight, six foot nine. You know, had yet to make his pro debut in a game. He's still only 18 years old. But for a guy that big and that young, he keeps his delivery in sync. He throws a lot of strikes. It, you know, his stuff is already up to 91, 97 miles an hour with a lot of projection remaining. He's got feel for spinning a curveball, for using a changeup. And he just got promoted to, to high A recently as well. But making his pro debut as an 18-year-old in, in mostly low A, he's got a 1.51 ERA this year with 95 strikeouts and 22 walks and 66 innings. Opponents are hitting 153 off of him. So th th those are two guys who um, I, I could see making the top 100 in the, in the very near future. All right, that's going to be a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Thanks very much to Gary Crawford for that question. Thanks very much to Jesse Sanchez for joining us and talking about the international prospect scene. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.